You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Monday, March 28th, 2022. This is episode number 245. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's Favorite Grandma, a.k.a. Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 28,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today, we're talking about how sustainable investments in cannabis can change the world. Rick Flair and Mike Tyson team up, a new cannabis chocolate bar, exporting cannabis from Colombia to Australia, Georgian police have to give the weed back, scary amendments to the Moore Act, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him here, find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What is your headline today, Rico? Oh man, so mine's coming out of the sportster.com. And this was actually um uh, leftover from Friday, WWE Hall of Famer teams up with Mike Tyson and Cannabis Line Venture. In what might be heralded as one of the most how-the-fuck-did-we-get-here moments in cannabis history, former boxing champion Mike Tyson has reportedly struck a partnership deal with none other than the Rolex-wearing, mint coat-rocking, private jet-hopping, no, it's not Jason Beck, ladies and gentlemen, but none other than the nature boy himself, former pro-wrestling legend Ric Flair. Hall of Famer's in each of their lanes, Flair and Tyson are partnering up to explore the possibilities of a new cannabis line, which, um, with Tyson 2.0 acquiring majority stake in Flair's Drip Incorporated. Per the article, Tyson 2.0 will be taking control of Flair's trademarks to launch flower and edible products under the 16-time World Champs brand name. In the press release Friday, Flair was quoted saying, Thanks to Mike Tyson and Tyson 2.0, I've become a true cannabis advocate and enthusiast. I'm Thrilled to partner with a longtime friend and fellow warrior whom I greatly admire and respect. There are a lot of synergies between me and Mike, and we've uh, both had many ups and downs, but we keep going at life. With Mike's passion for cannabis, Chad and Adam's industry knowledge, 
chat, huh? I look forward to creating cannabis products that will appeal to my national fan base. Tyson 2.0 products make me go, woo! And soon my fans everywhere can get in the Ric Flair state of mind, limousine riding, jet flying, feeling good, and woo! Well, folks, there you have it. Soon as uh, soon enough, we'll be able to have weed from Ric Flair packaged by Mike Tyson. That'll make us all, woo! We're still waiting on confirmation, but it's still been alleged that two sampled the new product with Will Smith prior to Academy Awards opening ceremonies last night. Sorry, I couldn't resist. This Rico Lamite from the State of Cannabis News Hour. Uh, would you be down for some of that Tyson, Ric Flair, wrestling drip weed? I think Jason Beck needs to comment here first, as he'll probably be the most affected by Flair taking back ownership of his industry persona. What you got for us, team? Well, you know, I'm a little disappointed to hear that Ric Flair partnered up with Mike Tyson because, you know, I haven't really seen amazing products from Tyson or Tyson Ranch other than this ear fucking gummy that I can't wait to try out. Um, so I'm a little disappointed that they didn't go with someone more advanced and better versed in the cannabis space. But who knows? Let's see. I wish Ric Flair all of his luck. He's a fucking great entertainer. I can't wait, man. <laughs> I'm pretty fucking hyped about it. I can't even lie. I'm a big fan of both of them, like, growing up. I know Mike Tyson's a very divisive character, but, you know, it is what it is. Like, growing up, both of them were big heroes for um, ghetto children like myself. So uh, I'll at least get the, the packaging and keep and, and hold on to that because I don't know if the product's going to last more than a, a season, if that. And, Jason, I don't know, but it... thank you for always calling the truth on the booth. Oh, 100%. But I, I do hope that this packaging, like, is just super, super immaculate and over the top with fucking, uh, with, with, uh, with alligator shoes and private jet Rolex rolling, you know what I mean? All of that good shit. And remember those big, big ass robes he used to wear when he would come out to yes. wrestle? I hope it's fucking, the yes. jar is wrapped in a fucking dope ass robe like that. Something like that. It's definitely a conversation piece, at least, you know. I mean, people are talking about it. So whether it stands the test of time and, and repeat buys and all that jazz, and if it's actually effective. But, hey, we're talking about it, right? So it's effective. Marketing I really work. hope he reconsiders the ear edible. I really do hope he reconsiders that. The edible I just hope the, the Holyfield family. I hope the Holyfield family gets paid on that. And uh, to your comments, <laughs> Jason, um, it'd be dope if, it, if, if the product came out in, like, a, a crown royal. Uh, a bag. Yeah, bro. This shit would be fucking fly. <laughs> this shit would be lit. Yes, indeed. Did you see the the reboot of the house plant packaging? They're saying that it's collectible because it's like a Lego set. Um, if he does do luxury packaging, um, I mean, I just really wish we would focus on sustainability but i guess if you're collecting it and not throwing a, throwing it away is that sustainable i don't know i don't know seth rogan's a canadian so that, that shit's already booped to me yeah. <laughs> he's got a pretty dope uh lighter have you seen it it's it's a car that lighter, lighter that lighter is not dope that lighter is a big ass brick and the best thing you could use that is fucking throw it at somebody when this fuck you're pissed off at that's what will smith should have did to chris rock is use that fucking big ass fucking lighter and do what with the lighter should have lit the stage on flames uh, let's hear from ollie muffins <laughs> ollie muffins what do you say well i think that um Mike is going to be at G4. It's going to be, uh, I think, any of you guys that want to come there, 
you're gonna have a chance to actually see the ear and everything else Mike's doing um, this May. So hopefully I see some of you guys there. Ali, is there gonna be a bite your ear off booth? I'm working on it, Jason. I'm working on your ear being bitten off after uh, our meeting where I came from Canada with amazing cannabis for Jason Beck. And I, I, I don't know if Southern hospitality stops at the state line in, in Southern California. It doesn't extend to Southern California, but Jason, you, you didn't give me any of the crazy, crazy that you talk about. You, you just, left, you, you, no you left too early. On top of it, I smoked a joint of that with you, Ollie, and then you got so fucking high that you forgot to even ask for anything. It sounded like a threat to me, Jason Beck. What are you going to do about that? Bro, bro? I had to, I had to practically swag. carry him off the second floor. He got so high. <laughs> All right. Let's keep on moving. Next up is our brand new co-producer on the show, Jason Beck. Jason has been with the show since day one and contributes his provocative spin that keeps the show popping. He has proven to be one of the most resilient players in the weed game since starting the first ever store in San Francisco. His Midas touch is going to take the State of Cannabis News Hour to the next level. What have you got, Jason? Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Susan. Today, my story, just so you know, it comes with all kinds of drug trigger warnings. So here we go. Where deputies arrest two in connection to drug trafficking, 110 pounds of cannabis seized. The Charleston County Sheriff's Office says they arrested a man and a woman in West Ashley for drug trafficking on Wednesday. Shalita Williams, 42, is charged with trafficking cocaine, 2.75 pounds, heroin, 7.6 grams and marijuana, 110.6 pounds. Tiffany Sardis Harded, 37, is charged with trafficking cocaine of 2.75 pounds. Deputies began the investigation on Tuesday by, by responding to a suspicious parcel being shipped through the U.S. Postal Service. The parcel was being shipped to a home on Sanders Road where Williams and, and Horde had been seen, an incident report stated. At the home, Horde got into a 2004 Cadillac DeVille, and Williams was seen carrying the parcel inside the home and then thwarting an unknown object at the back seat of the Cadillac, according to deputies. A deputy stopped the car in Sahab and grabbed a bag from the back seat and tried to stuff it under the seat in front of her. The incident report stated that investigators say a free air sniff was conducted with a canine unit who gave a positive alert under the driver's seat. During a probable cause search, deputies say a vacuum sealed bag that contained 2.75 pounds of cocaine was found in the car. Deputies say they also found 110.6 pounds of marijuana under Williams' possession back at the home, and the Sheriff's Office of South Carolina Law Enforcement Division and Drug Enforcement Administration used a search warrant to locate the marijuana. While in custody, Williams attempted to flush 7.6 grams of heroin down the toilet, but was stopped by a detective. The report stated, bond has not been set for Williams and Horde, and they are currently booked at Al Cannon Detention Center. And just a note for anybody, uh, if you're ever in a situation where you do get caught by the law with something in your possession and they didn't find something else on you, that when you do get back to the police station, you will get searched again. And upon that, if they do find anything on you, you will be charged with a felony no matter what it is. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. What's the alleged street value on that shit? $25 a gram on the weed. That's the sound of cherries and berries in the rear view, Jason. Cherries I mean, I like that.
I mean, I, I did like the what they called the, the free air sniff. Have you have you, you ever used that term, Chris? Never, um, never. But I think that's you know I, I I was never a canine handler myself, but you know. I, I, you cannot delay the detention to bring a dog to the scene, but it sounds like this was an, an investigation where maybe they had those resources available, but no, I've never used that term myself. Good call on uh, educating folks about the felony um, paraphernalia, whatever it, uh, else it, it may allegedly be. If you're going to get searched when you go back to a station. So you're going to get searched several times. Cavity. No, thank you. Uh, yeah. Some of these places also too, they have that, they have those, uh, those toilets that 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 if they think that you have something or that you swallowed something, they'll fucking literally make you shit in a thing that will actually wash your shit and fucking extrapolate the shit that you swallowed. So that's that's to me like if I ever thought that somebody swallowed drugs, I'm calling an ambulance straight up. That's that's you know that was what um, at least Oakland and San Francisco did because now that's an, a medical emergency and and to. You know, to add to that point, when someone's in your custody as a police officer, their safety's you know paramount and totally within your control. So, if somebody swallowed drugs in my possession, or I thought they swallowed drugs in my possession, ambulance, and we're going medical. The rest stuff can wait. You know, we gotta we gotta make sure that no one's gonna you know get hurt or or die in our custody. So, I, do you tell them to like, start uh, pumping. Do you tell them to start pumping the stomach, Chris? I don't tell them anything. I say code three. I'm not a doctor. Code three medical. That's what I say. You're not a biologist. Not today. <laughs> not today. Don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. <laughs> Rico, help. <laughs> All right. I'm really glad to hear, Chris, that they actually consider that a medical emergency because I feel like with so many stories we've heard lately about children being strip searched and all these other things, nobody seems to take that into account. And it's like just looking at prosecution or catching you. So that's really actually heartening in this story. I think it's crazy that, you know, to your point, yeah, the, uh, you know, so the stories that have been coming out lately, we've been talked about, I'm like, that's, that's, that's beyond crazy, you know? Um, but yeah, if somebody swallows drugs, you know, that's a medical emergency. Uh, we, you know, somebody in my custody, if I was a police officer, their safety is 100% in my control. Um, and you know, that comes, uh, primary, the se the rest stuff is all secondary. Not all cops, uh, not all cops, you know, believe that and abide by that. But you know, that's the way it should be done. If if somebody is in your handcuffs or in your custody, their safety is paramount, and you are one hundred percent responsible for that safety. We appreciate you, Chris. Yes, we do. Safety first. We're at the end of time for that story. Um, our next correspondent is the CEO of award-winning Original Breeders League, MJ Bizcon's 2021 Golden Bong Influencer of the Year, and universally recognized as one of the dopest moms ever to live on the motherfucking planet. Y'all know who's coming to the stage next? Priscilla Agoncillo. What you got for us today, this morning, Pete? Dope dad, thanks so much. Bye. Well, my article is... Uh, Folio Med becomes the largest exporter of medical cannabis from Colombia to Australia. So Folio Med is a medical cannabis company with manufacturing operations in German city of Limburg and cultivation in South America. So they just shipped the biggest ever delivery of medical cannabis from Colombia to Australia. Australia is after Germany, the second largest medical cannabis market outside of North America with over 100,000 patients. Australian wages and energy prices among 
amongst, are amongst the highest in the world. So producing affordable medical cannabis locally has proven to be a challenge. The two shipments will supply about 5% of the Australian demand at less than half the cost compared to local production. Currently, patients pay over 200 Australian dollars for a monthly dose available only under prescription and only out of pocket. Foliomed is an international cannabis company with EU GMP manufacturing operations, um, and they source all of their cannabis material from Colombia. I also have another follow-up on other international news. Uh, the follow-up is for, for uh, Child Q from uh, London. And the, an article on Yahoo News says the Metropolitan Police actually carried out 5,279 strip searches on children in the past three years. Um, these are very shocking uh, figures that have now been uh, revealed. The latest figures from the force show that of those children's search, 3,939 or 75% were from ethnically diverse backgrounds. The figures only include children who were arrested, meaning the cases such as Child Q won't be included and indicate a very much higher figure. Uh, one teenager who strip-searched four times said there was one instance when it was carried out without an appropriate adult with him. He said he felt extremely uncomfortable, very degraded. He felt, he said, I felt like dirt, to be honest. They were just stepping all over me. It was a very nasty experience as a child having to show your genitalia to two grown men who you didn't know. Uh, they, the Metropolitan Police responded back. Uh, they said there is a disparity in the overall use of stop and search in relation to gender, age, and race. The Met Police say in response to the figures that sadly different crimes tend to affect different groups more than others. And it remains a tragic truth that knife crime and street violence in London disproportionately affects boys and young men, particularly of African Caribbean heritage both in terms of being victims and perpetrators. They're basically shirking the shit off. You know, they're not, you know, they're making excuses for everything. I mean, really, we're, again, talking about children. And why do they have to look at your genitalia? This is fucking crazy. Uh, so this is Priscilla reporting on uh, cannabis-related news uh, internationally for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Thank you, Thank you for that follow-up, uh, Priscilla. Yes, thank you for that follow-up, Priscilla. That, that that whole case is appalling. I hope everybody gets fucking locked up, thrown under the jail. 100% lock them all up, Rico. I'm totally with that. And Priscilla, I feel really sorry for the uh, citizens and patients of Australia that they're going to have to smoke that boof-ass fucking Colombian crap. Priscilla, do you know if the you have to grow it inside in Australia? Do, they can't grow it outside at all? Uh, they're doing both in Australia. Um, they're mostly doing uh, greenhouse um, in Colombia. A lot of the Colombian companies, if they're not able to do greenhouse uh, through uh, GACP um, standards uh, in order to produce a GMP level product, um, they they uh, they're just trying to mostly grow under under a greenhouse. But in Australia, they're doing both. No more booth comments, Jason. Uh, I mean, I was going to let someone else kind of kind of go for that. I mean, I, I just like I said, I feel really bad. It's already a dust bowl in Australia, and now they're just going to have more dust bowl weed there. 
That's a really good point, Jason, just because they have had a lot of issues with the water and all that fire. Um, is that something they're concerned about, like resource use or anything? I mean, generally, Australia, they actually have some really uh, great um, cultivation for a lot of different uh, plants, um, you know, uh, in certain areas for sure. It, it it is weird because out of certain, there's one city that has been notorious for being very liberal and always having, you know, a cannabis. They've got, you know, underground growers there that produce some pretty, pretty decent stuff. Uh, but again, you know, you don't have a choice. It's very limited. So their approach, I think they're going to dial it in. Um, it is very expensive, but it's it's the same across every industry in Australia. There's nothing cheaper about it. It's very expensive there. So I think they'll be able to dial it in more and more. Uh, but for now, importing it um, from other countries like South America is feasible. I mean, I mean, does Australia grow anything good at all? I can't think of anything that, that Australia exports as an agricultural commodity other than koala bears and kangaroos and Tasmanian devils. Well, they have a really interesting climate where um, a lot of their plants are very high in different types of uh nutrients and and um because of the the ozone layer there they've had to like respond naturally to it so for example if you get like oysters or or um you know uh, sort of fish oil from that area it's higher in the different nutrients than other areas that have the same you know shellfish uh for supplement purposes because just because they've had to respond to the environment and the thinning of the ozone there but wouldn't one argue that anything that you take out of the ocean is from the ocean and not necessarily a product of Australia? It's all under that same region. I can dig it. So we're at the end of the time for that story. Definitely a good one uh, we need to be following up on. And um, any of our Australian listeners, tap on in. Let us know about the product out there. Let us know if uh, Jason Beck is just talking out of his ass. Up next. Definitely not talking out of my ass. It's not what I do. <laughs> up next. This feisty, red-headed conservative proudly claims her Mayflower roots and never backs down when challenged by pot-loving libs across the aisle or anybody else who wants to bring it. The founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington Insiders coming to the stage, Gretchen Gailey. What you got for us today, Gretchen? Good afternoon, Rico. Uh, my headline is coming from Marijuana Moment. Uh, top congressman and pro-legalization bowl pack uh, send joint fundraising email ahead of House marijuana vote. The House sponsor of bill to federally legalize marijuana that is scheduled to be taken up on a floor vote this week for the second time in history has partnered with a recently established cannabis-focused political action committee to get out the word for the upcoming action and to raise campaign funds for the upcoming election. The Better Organizing to Win Legalization, a.k.a. Bowl Pack, sent out the joint fundraising email on Friday, authored by House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jared Nadler, uh, it calls attention to the planned vote for the MORE Act and asks supporters to donate both to the PAC and to the Congressman's Campaign Committee ahead of a filing deadline. It says, as the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, I am pleased to report that we have never been closer to ending the federal prohibition of cannabis than we are today. Blah, blah, blah. He went on to talk about how this is the second time it's coming up for a vote. I love how later on they say it's not clear what is going to be the future of the MORE Act. I can tell them what it's going to be. It's going to die. Uh, but this is not stopping them from begging for money, um, which the cannabis industry needs to do more of, is pony up money 
to its uh, elected officials who are willing to support what they want. And they also need to support bowls who can also distribute, I'm sorry, support PACs that can distribute this money uh, out to the different officials as well that need it. So I, I like that they are uh, being opportunistic here on the Moore vote and uh, trying to get some word out, even though it's not going to go anywhere. Uh, but they need to be asking for money, and I'm, I'm glad that they're finally uh, some groups are stepping up to do this. This is Gretchen for State of Kansas News Hour. Yeah, I'm a big supporter of the Moore Act. I hope that the House does uh, d d does vote for it. I'm, uh, you know, j just the significance of the fact of Congress voting to deschedule cannabis all in itself is significant. You don't think there's anything fishy about the timing on here? There's always something fishy. What do you mean fishy? There's always some fishy, bro. It's DC. It's a swamp. What do you think is fishy? It's always something fishy, just like Jason said, Gretchen. I don't trust it. What don't you trust? He's just being a conspiracy I mean, theorist, Gretchen. It, it's an election year. People need money. You, if you want to uh, have candidates in there who care about what you care about, frankly, you got to pony up and give them money, um, or they're not going to survive. It, it feels like 24-7, whether it's election time or not, that our legislators spend 90% of their time begging for money off of any mm -hmm. issue of conflict or viral this or that instead of passing laws. They spend 10% of their time passing laws and 90% begging constantly. Well, well, that's because you have to feed the machine. And when you are an elected official, that is what you do a majority of your time is, is fundraising. Uh, uh, fundraising and then, then throwing up smoke screens and making people uh, care about shit that does not matter while you pass bullshit laws when nobody's looking. That's what they do. I don't know if I would go with that assessment, uh, but when I worked on the Hill, yes, the day after Election Day, we started fundraising again for the next one, especially if you're on the House side, because that's just the ridiculous grind of this country. You need campaign uh, finance reform if you want to get rid of that. Mm, mo money, mo problems for us. That's it. A good thing about the timing will be that um, we will know immediately about where, uh, you know, where our Congress people stand and how they vote before the election this time. Usually they've sort of pushed it past election so that no one will be revealed, but at least now we'll know where they stand. This could be a good benefit for everybody. Well, we'll know exactly uh, who is not on board, and it's going to be a lot more people than people suspect, and I don't expect this to pass the House. I mean, last time it passed the House, it passed with five votes from Republicans, and one of them just died last week. So you're down to four, maybe. I think we may get more than four Republicans on this. Republicans hate the Moore Act, but sure, why not pretend that it's going to happen? Good luck. I'm just saying, I think we'll get more than four Republican votes. I think I, I would take a bet on that. Well, then there are still plenty of Democrats who don't like it either. But either 100%. way, it doesn't matter who votes for it. There's still the Debbie Wasserman Schultz of America. I, I have no problem holding the book on this one. So if you guys want to send your money over my cash app, I'll send you the motherfucking uh, uh, QR code in Slack. We were at the end of time <laughs> for that story. And up next, we have the Plants for Life CEO, a dual board certified physician, well known for helping folks understand and manifest immense innate powers over their personal health by using cannabis as it was intended as medicine. Dr. Felicia Dawson. What you got for us this morning? Thank you so much, Rico. Happy Monday, everyone. My headline comes from Penn Live Patriot News. Georgia police who raided a store and took $30,000 in TAC products ordered to give it back by Brian Linder. 
Uh, police in Georgia are reportedly returning $30,000 worth of TAC products they seized from a store after a judge ruled that the seizure was not in accordance with the law. Salil Kumar shop um, was, was assailed and product was taken from his shelves as well as money from his cash register. Since Georgia passed the law in 2019 to make uh, hemp legal, law enforcement has raided shops sporadically in the Peach State. However, they raided the wrong store this time because Kumar was lawyered up. His attorney, Devin Rafis, proved the products he was selling were legal. In Georgia, Delta 8 and Delta 10 products, both containing small amounts of THC, are legal to sell. Delta 9 products are illegal to sell. His attorney stated, quote, all they have to do, all they have to do in Georgia is for, I'm sorry, all they have to do is to have a Georgia legislator write into law that Delta 8 is illegal. Until that time, it can be sold. It can be used by individuals in Georgia. I recall at a conference of Women Grow that Wanda James, a CEO of one of the first uh, dispensaries owned by a black person, stated that if you're going to be in this business, you had better be lawyered up. Hire the best attorneys you can because you're going to need them. And you're going to need them on people sometimes that you least expect. This is Dr. Felicia Dawson reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. The one thing Thanks. about when you get your shit seized from law enforcement is that if they are going to return it, they can return that shit to you in any condition. So if you think that these are going to be in a condition to where he can actually put them back on their shelves and resell them, you're gravely mistaken. They didn't mention the money in this article. Will they be returning the cash as well? Do you think? Um, I know I've had law enforcement give me my cash back before. And uh, I know the police were pissed about it. And some of the narcotics agents were making jokes saying, hey, we can't give this money back. This is drug money. If they're giving it back, it's not drug money. Yeah, this, this one says like $30,000 $30, worth of THC products were seized. What if they come back and they are outdated by the time they give them back? Their COAs have expired. Yeah, what if they're expired? Like, can you claim any of that, and can you can you sue the police uh, department for losses? I would I would think that's a reasonable claim, Rico. Right? I mean, there's there's more loss than just the product that was taken. Right. Right. There's the hours of tracking it. There's the administrative hours. There's the you know what all kinds of things as we know you know to go into effect there. Uh, so I think that's an extremely reasonable argument. I think they might find a hard time finding a jury that's going to sympathize with this guy's claims especially in georgia i hope they do and um if that shop anybody from the shop is connected and listening to us man hope you guys are okay and i hope you guys get your product back and i hope that uh, your patients get the medicine that they need it's, it's not a patient's rico it's just a normal head shop it's not a it's not a dispensary i mean they're in order to get it back so i'm sure Patients were coming to get that shit, No, right? no, no. The patients were not coming to get their shit. It was just the general public coming to get their fucking, get their crap. No, people come and get the Delta 8 because they feel like it has less side effects than Delta 9. Um, my problem is that you don't know how it's being made, and so that's that's my concern. But most right. people feel like it's a, a more gentle um, effect and can do some of the, the positive things that TAC can do without in the impairment. Or being as impaired. Crap products. It's the best I can do right now, Jason. <laughs> Let it do better. Do Let better. Want better. Want more for yourself.
don't buy Delta 8. Take money out of politics, and you know what? They can have better. Just there saying. you go. There you go. That shit ain't happening. <laughs> All right, we're at the end of time for that story. And we're waiting on Susan Sori's, our um, our head honcho, to get her power back. I know that uh, Long Beach is under a little monsoon going on right now, so we're going to keep it rolling. Uh, up next, we have she is actually known to our team for bringing the data and not the drama. Uh, she's a true Renaissance woman known for bridging uh, the gap between education, brand strategy, healthcare, consulting, and she's also the founder of Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County. What you got for us today, Liz Rogan? Thank you so much, Rico. Hey there, SOC family. Thanks for joining us on this uh, rainy California day. My story comes from the Santa Fe, New Mexican by Sean P. Thomas. The headline reads, Smaller Cannabis Retailers Try to Carve a Place in Santa Fe's Budding Cannabis Industry. So I'd love to hear at the end of this story if any New Mexico folks have insight on this, because I know this is a big story. As New Mexico cannabis retailers and residents are eagerly awaiting the start of legal recreational sales on Friday, April 1st. It's like, is this a joke or not? But anyway, with unlimited licensing for retailers, there will be a lot of competition, which also brings in the MSOs. My story today focuses on a small family-owned business and how they are working to carve out a place for a craft small business amidst this competition. So Endo is a Santa Fe cannabis business started by Ian Ahrens and a few family members. He began growing cannabis as a hobby and now is the managing director of Endo. The family invested over half a million dollars in the business, but as the work continued, it became increasingly clear that they're not going to be open by Friday, which is the first day that it can be sold. Stephen Ahrens, who is Ian Aaron's father and the business's general counsel, so it's nice to have an attorney in the family, said the storefront and production area just received state approvals last Sunday. So they're wading through the mire of local business authorization, which they need in addition to the state. So with problems from real estate not being available and jumping through these multiple hoops, there's also concerns about supply. Are they going to be able to have enough? And so their production facility is not actually producing yet, so they're going to be selling cannabis from other people. But there is some concerns in the state that the cultivators may be holding some of this cannabis back. So that's something that's kind of been talked about. But Aaron's, the Aaron's themselves are confident that despite a few roadblocks and concerns about the available product, their business will welcome customers on May 1st, so a month afterwards. And they're looking at hiring local people. Um, they've hired more people than they needed, so people aren't completely overloaded with work right now because they feel like that's going to be a more inclusive, um, great place to work at. So they're saying, uh, Ian says, I want this to be a the kind of place where job where people are happy with their work. And I want this place to be a benefit of the community. He feels like small craft uh, cannabis industry operators are going to have a lot more um, benefit and then hopefully be able to carve out that niche as like a small uh, craft, you know, beer industry type thing. They really feel they're going to be able to hold on to that. So as this uh, moves forward, I'm really curious to hear if anyone has any insight on this, especially with the unlimited licensing. So I'm going to stop now. This is Liz Rogan. I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. New Mexico is going to be very, very, very interesting the way that whole thing plays out. Just like you said, Liz, with the unlimited uh, licenses, but also um, they're flanking Arizona and Texas over there. So it'll be interesting to see if a lot of the Texas retailers or, or their connections that can't get shit going currently end up hopping over the border and setting up shop and establishing their brands over there. That's a good point, Rico. They mentioned that they're expecting a lot of the business to come from Texas and surrounding states. 
I mean, are, are, and we're, we're talking about for, for sales for anyone 21 and over here in New Mexico, correct? Yes, recreational. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, you're, you're going to have a slew of Texans flying to New Mexico to purchase blue-fast weed, but it'll 100% be better than the Delta 8, Delta 10 crap products that they currently have on the shelf. Shout out to Texas. Great people out there and everything, but um, the Delta 8 has to go. It <laughs> has to go. Is that when you say just hook them, Rico? Hook them. I think it's great that they'll have more options other than Delta 8, you know, and um, I hope those Texans travel safely across state lines. Texas Highway Patrol is going to set up border checkpoints right along the New Mexico border. So make sure that when you're driving back and forth that you are stuffing your stash. I think Texas really uh, um, we're ahead of the game by that pay for play, get out of jail free tickets because um, – I've done a lot of crazy things in Texas, gone crazy high speeds, and my homeboy had one of those FOP stickers, one of the platinum stickers on the back of his uh, Suburban, and we ain't getting no kind of trouble. Two young black African-American males <laughs> and uh, doing some really, really, allegedly doing some crazy shit. We're past the uh, statute, of, uh, statute of limitations there, but um, you pay for those friend of the police stickers, and you pay enough to them, you ain't getting in trouble for nothing, so... Would, would you call it an investment in yourself and in your health? I would say so. I would say so. I'd also call it just paying paying off politicians and paying off the law. I mean, it's really just going, putting money into the system, feeding the machine. Hey, so Jay, did you have uh, any insight? It looks like you're coming in from New Mexico. Yeah, I want to, first of all, thank you guys for continuing to report on my home state. And second of all, Jason, most of it's booth, but not all of it. I'm coming directly from California, bringing direct, bringing growers directly from California. So it's not all going to be boof. So, and another thing is that the state is moving really slow with the licensing. Uh, they're super, they're super busy and they're super overwhelmed. It seems like retail applications. There's a lot of them I'm reading. Manufacturing, there's not going to be that many. Producers, there's not going to be that many. So as far as competition, there's going to be a lot of competition as far as retail. But everything else, it's an open playing field. I feel like there's going to be a big bottleneck with testing. I was just reading about a dispensary getting a recall for mold. So there's going to be a lot of that. I feel there's going to be a lot of product that's not going to be available because of the bottleneck of testing and because there's not enough producers the current medical producers are producing a lot of booth, but I feel there's going to be some new players that are actually going to come with some quality. Thank you again for reporting. Absolutely. Thank you for giving us a, a little insight about what's going on on the ground there. If anybody else from New Mexico is out here, please hit us up. We'd love to hear directly from the source rather than just reporting on these big news headlines. It's one of the strengths of our team and our network here at State of Cannabis News Hour. So up next, it's obvious there's some national friction going on between Americans and police officers. Some say defund, others want reform. But our next correspondent took a different route. He chose to leave the force, become a cannabis security consultant at CC Security Solutions, and join our team reading the damn weed news. We salute you, brother. Up next, Chris Eggers. What you got for us today, my man? Happy Monday. I've got some damn news. Also, out of uh, this is out of Charleston, West Virginia, though. Uh, not Charleston, South Carolina, which is a beautiful city, I'm sure, West Virginia. Also has a great Charleston, but just never been. A group in Charleston is pushing for change when it comes to marijuana, according to this article. The group says that it's time to stop penalizing people who have simple possession. 
So the use of marijuana has been a popular topic for years, and this article touches on it. And in, in specifically, in Charleston, West Virginia, there is a group that is trying to get cannabis to be decriminalized. They are trying to decriminalize cannabis on the ballot during the 2022 election cycle. James Ellum, city council candidate, said, why I'm personally passionate about this policy is that I'm actually a former state correctional officer, so I have law enforcement background, and I know how much we need criminal justice reform. People like Corey Zinn said that his friends and family members who carry the, uh, the shame of being criminal just for having weed. Zinn said, just imagine if we could lift the weight from our friends and they could really be themselves in Charleston and they could really be in alive and not feel like they're a victim. To get it on the ballot, the group needs 1,919 signatures on a petition from registered voters and then presented to the city council. The council will then adopt the measure without amendment with a majority vote or turn it down in which it'll go back to the voters on the next municipal ballot. Ellum said, I don't believe in my personal experience that any West Virginian should be incarcerated over cannabis-related offenses. Over 50% of the nation has access to legal cannabis, and we're just so far behind our laws, outdated, and we know that they are disproportionately affecting co uh, communities of color as well, Zinn said. By decriminalizing cannabis, it would remove jail time, fees, and fines for everyone arrested for possession of uh, cannabis in Charleston. So today, on Monday at 6.30, a group will gather on the steps of Charleston City Hall to announce their plans to put this on the ballot during the 2022 election cycle. My name is Chris Eggers, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Happy Monday, everybody. Charleston, West Virginia is, um, I'm kind of biased because I'm from the real Virginia. <laughs> Charleston, West Virginia ain't shit. <laughs> Just saying. It was all the same state at one point, Rico. Don't be a hater. <sighs> and they're both terrible states, but um, a lot of the... Joe Manchin's the man. A lot of the uh, uh, the inbreds, racists, and... Um, the terrible people escaped to the mountains up there and where the rest of uh, Virginia um, just continued being racist on the ground. So it is what it is. This is a great story, Chris. I really think it's neat to see how so many law enforcement officers have really changed perspectives and seeing how this really helps people. And thanks. I thought that was really great about this story. I hope they succeed in Charleston. And count yourselves blessed if you have ballot initiatives and you're not at the mercy of your legislators in Georgia and a few other states. You can't get anything done unless the legislators put it forward. The people have little to no say in terms of getting stuff on the ballot. So count yourself blessed if you have that in your state. Facts. Yep, facts. Thanks. Great point, Dr. Hey, Florida, we had a one of our House reps has submitted a bill, I want to say three to four times. Did we lose you? Yeah, yeah someone called in as, as I was talking. I was just saying that Florida, uh, we have a, a representative, Carlos Guillermo Smith, has introduced a decrim bill at least three to four times over the past, you know, since the medical marijuana program has been in effect, and every single time it dies in the House. So um, it's, it's awesome that if there's an opportunity to, to let the people decide on this is what we want. We'll see what... Um... Joe Manchin and, co and company have in uh, stow for the great state of West Virginia. You can find him on his yacht. On his yacht fielding questions. Stop it. He's not Bernie Sanders. You can find him on his he's, river yacht. He's West Virginia's <laughs> version of an oligarch. I can't, I can't wait for he and Cinema to claim uh, their Republican real status because this is just— Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin is a patriot and should be praised. 
I oh can't wait. God. I think I can't I wait for praise. Biden to run him out. Can't wait for Biden to just run him right out of the party. But just run Biden, him out. Biden couldn't around. run anything, let alone the country. The only thing he runs <laughs> is his from is from boogeyman's in his dreams. Well, except for yeah, I think I think I think Putin might disagree. Jude, Joe, Joe Biden does not dream, number one. And then uh, I think Kristen, I think Kristen Cinema, she's just an agent of chaos. So I don't know if she has any allegiance to no, anybody. They're getting big dark money, big dark money from the right. One term, Kristen Cinema. That's, that's, that's term. Sleepy Joe and Hunter's fucking name of the game, bro. They were getting tons of money from from the Ukraine, and now we're at war with Ukraine. But the emails. But the emails. <sighs> And if we can get back, focus on the news. Yes. Thank, thank you, Roz. Thank, thank you. Much love and appreciation for that. So, uh, <laughs> and speaking of, let's go to the next story. So uh, up next, he's a communication strategist and publisher of the American Cannabis Report. Citizens from home, his home planet call him Cal L. We just call him the cannabis industry's very own Clark Kent. Up next, Christopher Smith. What you got for us this morning, my man? Good morning, uh, Rico, and good morning, Susan, wherever you are. My story today comes from WXYZ in Detroit, Michigan. How states collected uh, from, how taxes collected from $1.1 billion in recreational marijuana sales benefit communities. So a 34-year-old software engineer named Justin Almeida was visiting Detroit from California last summer. He was riding his uh, uh, a bird scooter around town. Those things are pretty fast, but his front wheel dro- dove into a pothole that was two, by, two feet by two feet by six inches deep. He was badly injured. He fractured his skull, broke several bones in his face, and now has brain damage. Uh, he's reading at a fourth grade level. He's seeing double, and he certainly can't work as a software engineer. He's suing the city of Detroit for $10 million. The reason this story is relevant is because the state of Michigan sold $1.1 billion in cannabis products last year, which created $111 million in sales taxes, even a little more in the state's cannabis tax fund, and $42 million will be dispersed to communities and counties, $49.3 million to the school aid fund, and the Michigan Transportation Fund will also receive $49.2 million. And one of the targets of those funds is road repair. The locals call it pot for potholes. So a cool thing about Michigan, and if this is not true in all states, it should be, is that cannabis funds are distributed to cities and towns based on the number of dispensaries in the town. So, for example, there's a town called Ferndale has three dispensaries. They'll be getting $169,000 from the cannabis fund. Uh, A county called Macomb has six dispensaries. They're getting $339,000. And the leading city in the state is Ann Arbor, home of the Hash Bash. It will be getting $1.4 million. Now, uh, it's a little concerning, though, because throwing around big tax numbers is a big-time sport in cannabis, and it's important to keep cannabis numbers in perspective. And I say this because politicians are making big economic claims about cannabis taxes and, and all that they're going to do, and they're so inflated they seem like a magic civil, silver bullet sometimes to our to all of our problems. The governor of New Jersey said businesses in the new cannabis industry they were setting up in the name of social justice are part of efforts to continue growing the innovation economy that will power our future and make us a model for the nation and the world. Enormous claim. Governor of New Mexico said legal cannabis is going to create thousands of jobs and serious tax revenue for local governments to support local services in every corner of our state. New York Governor Holchel, her executive 
budget estimated New York stands to generate $1.25 billion in tax revenue over the next six years. And the mayor of Rochester, New York, a guy named Lovey Warren, recently said, with the legalization of uh, marijuana on the horizon, we have the ability to enact legislation locally to make a concept of reparations through a universal basic income and home ownership a reality for Rochester and its families. So with big expectations like these, states will continue taxing the shit out of our industry. And why do you think Chuck Schumer is proposing adding a 25% federal tax on top? So maybe we should tone it down a little bit on these big claims. We, like we say, for example, legal cannabis industry may be a $27 billion industry in a few years. But Pfizer Pharmaceutical is a $330 billion company on its own. One big pharma company could buy the whole industry 10 times. And cannabis has created 428,000 jobs we talk about. Well, that's amazing, but Amazon alone has 1.6 million, million employees, four times as many as our whole industry. So you remember that pot for pothole story? That was from Washington County, a road commissioner in Michigan. They're expecting $500,000 from the cannabis fund. They say it's enough to pave one mile of road. In Oakland County in Michigan, their road commission got $1.8 million, but that's only 1% of their budget. So we're growing fast. We have the right values to change the world, but the dollars are another story. Wait, one mile? That is insane. I'm trying to get past that there. That's, that's because all the unions involved in the construction project, Liz. Well, that may, that may be I true, but the numbers just... are the other point. I just really appreciate you putting in perspective that our industry, as much as we think is like so big, if you look at some of the other different industries, specifically pharma, uh, um, the pharma, pharmaceutical industry and Pfizer, like we're still we're still small potatoes, even though we're this brand new, you know, growing industry. You know what all those industries have, Roz, that our industry doesn't have? What's that? Interstate trade. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Wait, and banking? That's, that's the and big banking? key right there. And yeah, banking. banking too, yeah. But interstate trade is the biggest thing when we talk about the size and able of size of commerce that will be able to uh, occur once we have uh, descheduling. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But I'm scared. I'm a little scared of interstate. Um, you know, of I know course you're scared, Roz. You're in Florida. You guys are going to get mulled over with all this California <laughs> cannabis coming through. All the California weed coming through. Listen, I'm just trying to fight for the little guys who, you know, we just had a boot camp in Connecticut and you got all these folks there, social equity, and they're trying to figure it out. And I just want them to get in. You know, if we know it's coming, interstate commerce, that's fine. But let them get in, be able to, you know, make an honest living, grow a business, maybe, you know, do it the craft, you know, craft, craft, um, um, the brewery type of deal. I don't care. But at least let them get in and, and see some success before the takeover. D define success. Ooh. And, and point taken. All right. So uh, we're at the end of the time for that story. And up next, we have, um, he is repping Long Beach, California heavy. And um, our next correspondent is the CEO of Fruit Slabs, a cannabis and intellectual property attorney. And no amount of springtime Southern California rain can stop this man's vibes. Come to the stage, Brandon Dorsky. What you got for us today? Thanks so much for having me today. Uh, my headline comes from foodbeast.com, and it's introducing an everything bagel seasoning cannabis chocolate bar. Full disclosure here, I am a minority owner of Yeasty Boys, and this is about the Yeasty Boys and Kiva collaboration coming up for 420. 
Kiva Confections collaborated with Los Angeles' favorite bagel purveyors, Yeasty Boys Bagels, to create the Everything Bagel Seasoning Munchies Bar. The collaboration is the product of Kiva reps frequenting the Yeasty Boys Bagel Truck and having discussions with the bagel lord himself, Evan Fox, the founder and creator of Yeasty Boys. The limited edition bar is coming out for 420. It's actually available for order now and will be available in California and via retailers as well as Kiva Direct, which is their direct-to-consumer platform. I believe it's operated by Grassdoor. Uh, the bars are 100 milligrams, 5 milligrams per serving. They're 20 bucks retail. They have a modification of Yeasty Boys uh, celebrated everything bagel seasoning, which you can get non-infused, uh, but there's an infused modification to make this Kiva collaboration. I actually haven't yet tried it, but I'm really looking forward to trying it uh, because I think salty and chocolate go really well together. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis News. I seriously think we need a munchie alert on this because it sounds so good. I'm literally like drooling right now. I can't wait to try this, Brandon. 15,000 units will are being sold retail here in California, and hopefully it goes well because then there will be more. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brandon, if I missed it, is this, is this a chocolate bar with, 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 with bagel, or is this actual bagel chips? It is a chocolate bar. Like, it's Kiva's sort of traditional 100-milligram chocolate bar. It just has a different seasoning inside of it. It's a modification of the everything bagel seasoning, so it'll be a little bit saltier. And this, this kind of comes in the lineage of their... Uh, holiday collaborations, if anybody recalls. They did a turkey gravy a couple years ago uh, for Thanksgiving, and it was such a big hit for them that they actually made it a you know, routine and reoccurring product. Um, this is something they're just trying for 420. It was hatched over the course of like a year. Um, and yeah, it will be so it's being sold from now until uh, 420 and beyond if it hasn't sold out. But my hopes is it sells out. Uh, and yeah, it should be as delicious as any other Kiva chocolate bar. Just a little bit different flavor. Little yeasty, huh? Yes, sir. I'll reserve my comments there. <laughs> and up next, we have a, a, a coming to the stage. And closing this out, she's a Florida-based entrepreneurial bouse leading the charge for ultimate cannabis lifestyle brand, Black Buddha, Black Buddha Cannabis. And she's also the founder and CEO of Minorities for Medical Marijuana. Coming to the stage from the great state of Florida, Roz <laughs> Good afternoon. Good morning. Good afternoon for those that are on the East Coast. Good afternoon. Um, Roz McCarthy here. Um, this is coming from Click on Detroit, Mich Michigan's first ever marijuana consumption venue coming to Hazel Park a new hot box social lounge soon to open to the public. After voting to legalize recreational marijuana in Michigan back in 2018, the state has reached a new marijuana milestone. Over the last four years, a variety of different cannabis businesses have opened up through Michigan, offering marijuana products to patients for medical reasons and to recreational users. The businesses are allowed to sell marijuana, but marijuana is not allowed to be consumed at these lo locations. Now, for the first time ever, a marijuana consumption venue is opening in the state of Michigan, and it's right here in Metro Detroit. Hot Box Social in Hazel Park will serve as the first ever cannabis consumption lounge in the region where people can smoke weed and eat edibles at their leisure. The business just received its operator license and will begin by hosting private events before opening to the public. 
The lounge, which is located um, on John R. Road between Nine Mile Road, expects to open up to the public this summer. Under the state law, Hotbox Social will not be allowed to sell marijuana to patrons. So vis visitors will have to bring their own and have it delivered to them at the location. In other states where marijuana has been legalized, consumption lounges usually charge an entrance fee or sell tickets to special events to bring in revenue. I believe, you know, we have the same opportunity and situation that's going on in Nevada, and it'll be interesting to see how this works out, um, not only for the cannabis community and people that want to go and have a nice environment to consume, um, but for the operator, how do you make money, especially if you're not selling product inside of the doors, inside of that space? I'm Roz McCarthy reporting to you from the State of Cannabis News Hour. Would love to hear your feedback. I'd love to hear what people think about uh, folks opening up shops you know, with, uh, I guess, old school taboo words like the hot box. <laughs> well, listen, I think you got like the consumption lounge theoretically is needed, especially when you have states like in Colorado, where there was an increase in arrests. And a lot of those arrests were due to consumption where people were consuming and they ended up getting popped and they were charged with um, unlawful consumption. Um, so I think this is important. However, you know, um, it has been sold and it has been positioned as, a, as another opportunity for social equity. And if you don't control the products and are not having the opportunity to have products on premise, you sometimes really cap the amount of money and opportunity that you can create for yourself. So I would love to see some type of either grandfathering where you can start buying wholesale from a wholesaler or something so that, you know, you're able to win on the product side as well. Roz wants to see a trap market in her state. I think they should turn all the old phone booths into hot boxes on the corner so everyone can consume on the streets. Be great for advertising. Nanograms is too. back like she left something. <laughs> it's not even raining in Long Beach and our power cool went out. That would, so crazy. That would be a very cool well, idea. Imagine, listen, imagine Superman coming out of the... Yeah. Coming out of what the they do, what'd they do with all those phone booths anyway? I know, right? Well, watch the trends. This consumption lounges, this is going to continue. Um, shout out to Happy Monkey in New York. Um, you know, they have been the purveyors of consumption lounges, and now that it's legal in New York, they are going to, uh, I'm sure, do something pretty special. Well, we've, re we've reached the hour mark. That was a really great show, I think. I didn't get to hear very much of it. But if you missed any of it, like me, make sure that you catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day and bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Rico and Jason for co-producing the show with me and Liz Rogan, our our pinup girl. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. Your addition to our show makes the State of Cannabis News Hour news you can trust. Oh, shit. Can you guys hear that? There we go. There You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Say goodbye, Rico. Goodbye, my friends.
The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers, not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or of any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expressions of any of the opinions whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any of its speakers.